did not know how long they had been there. They did not know how long they had been there. They did not know how long they had been there. They did not know how long they had been there. Tape is rolling. Uh, howdy, strangers. Hi there. I'm uh, Jacob. This is Doug, and you're back with Best Worst Podcast after an absurdly lengthy <laughs> absence. <laughs> and we're back from the uh, the fluey post-festival grave. Yeah, we were going to do our first uh, prep, and then uh, I got sick, and then we were going to do our uh, reports during the fest, and I was still sick. There was about four days where I wasn't able to talk. You dug in no voice. <laughs> yeah, so which... Meant, meant the Twitter was really active, but yeah. uh, this isn't so useful. But um, better late than never, I hope. Um, yeah. Do you have a good fest? I had I had a pretty decent fest, actually. Mm. Um, I, I guess mm. there was only one film for me that was a little bit of a disappointment, and the rest of them were either, you know, the, the ones that were kind of middling were still pretty good. Um, right. And I had a whole lot of really, really pretty fantastic ones. Um, I guess the, one of the things that stood out for me, and I, I saw another friend comment on Twitter about it, was that uh, it, it seemed a little less social for me this year. Um, mm. I got to films, um, I saw a, probably, I guess the bulk of my films without anybody else um, accompanying me, and and uh, and by the end of it I felt like I re- hadn't really hung out with a lot of people. Um, I certainly felt that way, but I've made half as many films this year as I have at my peak because I was sick. But um, I did talk to some people. I think also um, bringing um, Queen Street back to full speed as a venue and then having Rialto as well often meant just a lot more splitting. And um, uh, this year I just found often a lot of the a lot of really difficult decisions that meant I was going to one thing while my friends why had friends split between two other screenings. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah, which is I guess part of the nature of the um bounty of choice of the festival oh yeah yeah I, like i don't mind going to films by myself i quite enjoy it but yeah. uh i i guess in the past i've had a, f- a bit more of the ring up who's or you know email around who's 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 doing this screening have at least one or two people throw their hands up and then we'll just um if it's not full we'll kind of um shuffle across to wherever there's some spare seats and and then download about it later on but yeah it was, there was like a there was some of that, but just a lot less than in previous years. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I mean, I found actually um, going to last sessions to be really nice this year. Like for me, um, I've often pushed myself, and after last year, I was pretty stabby. If you recall, I, I mm. was not happy. And yes, you been, were a happy camper. Yeah, and um, there's only one day that I saw more than three films this year. Um, saw far fewer overall, and um, I just found. I don't know if I enjoyed films more. They just stuck with me more. Um, yeah. But I also had a lot easier time um, not getting bothered by things in the audience. I mean, I had some, I had, I had some strange audience members this year. I had somebody who would got up every five minutes during the wall to wander around <laughs> and look for things. I had a woman in front of me in um, in another country who wouldn't turn off her cell phone. Uh. But like, rather than get angry about it, I just wound up getting up and walking to another part of the theater. Cool. Um, and, you know, I had the woman, the two girls who sat down next to me in student with their Runcon dinner, broke out, like, you know, ramen <laughs> and, like, ate the whole thing, checked their phones a couple times and left halfway through. Um, but, yeah, it's just, I, th- I think not putting as much pressure for me was a really good way to enjoy the festival. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, that's a much better way to um, to be able to deal with the inevitable kind of yeah. hiccups along the way. I try to. I'll try to keep that in mind whenever I'm pissed off about all the great films <laughs> you're telling me about that I didn't get to see. Well, I, I um, I had a pretty good year audience-wise, actually. I, I, th- I think I really only had two standout experiences that started winding me up. One experience actually just kind of I, I had to laugh 
I think some people entered a film on the the strength of the mm. name of one of the actors, and uh, and then it wasn't quite what they thought it was going to be, um, and they spent a great deal of time expounding <laughs> why is this happening why haven't they referred to this piece of action that happened blah 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 yeah. Yeah. <coughs> uh, which was kind of funny and I, and I kind of got where they were coming from mm. um, there was a couple I sat mm. next to and on the road actually who uh, who had a, a great big long discussion about the opening shot and why was there this handheld shot looking at legs of the guy walking and I thought during oh, the show. Yeah. oh yeah and I thought what if, I hope this isn't going to go the entire time they were sat directly beside me and uh, but luckily they only busted out into conversation about three or four times so in the in the fog I uh, was sitting in the front row of the Civic and um, had two people next to me and it's a slow cinema film and twice during the first 45 seconds the couple next to me um, chatted about things and I turned to them and I actually I can't believe I did this. I was just like, excuse me, do you guys plan on talking through the entire movie? And the guy looked at me and was like, no, I don't think so. I'm like, okay, good. And they were stone silent for the rest of it. <laughs> um, so if you're sitting next to somebody who doesn't look like they're going to stab you, that might be a good one. I have, but, it, but it also, like, I, I find that, like some people like, could you shut the hell up and stuff like that? And that makes people feel like they're being aggressed against. Yeah. Whereas actually being said, do you plan to talk through the entire movie? It's like, Wait, that is kind of a dumb idea that I've gone to a movie and then planning on yeah. talking through it. You know, I, I think just some people don't think about that, maybe? I don't yeah. know. I mean, but we could go on for audience etiquette yeah. for ages, but um, less about the festival and more about the films. Yeah. Um, basically, the idea is we've both kind of come up with the top nine. We yep. kind of... We're, <laughs> we we're su- to... suffering, <laughs> st- struggling with that tenth one, and that's like, you know what? We both have a strong nine. Let's we like a four-tenth equal, th- so... Do that, so... Um, but, like, I think we were both intending to like, just give some capsule reviews of all the stuff that didn't make our top nine, and then, yep. and then talk a bit more about them. So um, why don't you go through yours first, and I'll chip in where it's appropriate. Uh, okay, if well, I've seen um, that, and then I'll go uh, through mine. I guess first up for me um, was program launch, uh, going hitting back a bit. Um, was uh, I, I, There were two, two choices on the night for that, um, and I went to see uh, Searching for Sugar Man. Which I've heard um, great things about. Yeah, music doco. Um, moved me to uh, moisture in my eye in a part or two. It was a really good documentary. It probably it didn't make my top nine because there were a couple of failures, I guess, in the filmmaking for me, from my perspective. And having talked with a, a couple of friends afterwards about it, um, but overall, fantastic, um, fantastic subject, really. Um, this guy, the Sugar Man, Rodriguez, um, yeah, Rodriguez, um, just seems like the nicest dude you 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 might meet. Um, all of his workmates just said he was a great worker a fantastic person and it's the kind of thing that could sound really sugar-coated and and uh and contrived but actually just seemed really genuine despite getting some money and some and some measure of of fame later due to this documentary although not really in, in the states um he kind of has, seems to have just sort of pushed it off onto family and friends and and still lives in the same house and works the same job in construction yeah um a very sad story but it just left you with some some questions about um, what happened to the to the money and royalties that should have been his from music sales in South Africa, where he turned out to be as big as Elvis. And that's a film that's coming back as well. Yeah. So well um, worth seeing. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to catching it then. And then uh, opening night, uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild, which was uh, a really singular film uh, experience for me. Uh, really a really kind of interesting blend of styles and way of 
chucking together some uh, quite broad thematic strains. You had this kind of fantastical element which was driven from a point, child's point of view um, in terms of the narrative arc of the story. And so everything is seen from the point of view of this child. And that child, the actress whose name is very difficult to remember and pronounce, um, but non-professional, she was fantastic. But the action in it between her and the, and the, and, and the guy who played her dad um, got so intense that you kind of, I, I almost felt like maybe they were pushing the bounds of what this girl should be in situations wise like there right. were times where like actually some... you just felt it was irresponsible to put her in this as a child uh, well, I'd... probably just 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 on the right side of that but right, wow. getting to that point of feeling wow there's some really angry scenes happening here and quite dangerous feeling for a kid who's not used to this hmm. and she's probably in quite a safe environment but you know it just felt so you really felt that sense of from a perspective of a child how um unpredictable adults can be and how volatile and they kind of mirrored the the landscape and the weather and all the sort of uh action that was going on right yeah it was really interesting i'm really curious to see it i am um, spent for the first time in years i missed opening night i spent it in bed watching pieces the um chainsaw um movie from the 80s that uh <laughs> was famously advertised as you don't have to go to texas for a chainsaw massacre <laughs> it's it's brilliant it's terrible yeah. but it's brilliant it's <laughs> so much fun and uh, it was a rewatch and yeah. it held up um yeah. it's it's in the pantheon of trash cinema yeah. for me well Beast that, that of Southern spent, Wild yeah. was the was kind of film i think that um that divided um critics and audiences about a lot of the audience seem to really love it a few critics that i seem to have issues with it and reviewers most of the um most of the people i talked to at the film festival loved it i think What's happened in the States is that it seems to happen with quite a few films. The artist comes to mind is that there's um, such a marketing buildup around it, um, which started from its premiere at Sundance, That's, yeah. that there's an inevitable <coughs> backlash. And yeah. um, I mean, I can't really comment without having seen yeah. the film, but that was uh, similar to what I felt what, what I felt when I saw The Artist, that it was a film that didn't deserve the bashing it was getting. Yeah. But probably if it hadn't been overpraised it wouldn't have yeah, got, got that or overhyped yeah. or what have you. Next up. Okay, um, what about you? Have you... Oh, so day one, um, the first first film I saw the fest, uh, This Must Be The Place, the uh, Paulo Sorrentino oh, I missed film. That one. Yeah. I, I loved it a lot. Um, until the last five minutes, I would have said it would have easily made my top list. It's a strange, wonderful film. Um, there's, there's not a lot of narrative necessity for most of... What happens? Like the first half of the film is basically watching a Robert Smith lookalike, played by Sean Penn, mm. hang out. And if you've ever wanted to see what it's like for Robert Smith to go to the grocery store and buy frozen pizzas or <laughs> play handball, um, which it sounds like a really specific thing, but that's really up my. That's something I've always been like. What is this person like in real life? Oh, and yeah. there's some stuff where it ter- eventually turns into what it's been billed as the Nazi hunting movie, and he goes to the states and. Um, there's sort of a bridge point where, uh, where the, David Byrne plays the title song, This Must Be The Place, and oh, yeah. what's an extraordinary clip, um, uh, performance of it. And then uh, he kind of does his little road trip through the States looking mm-hmm. for him and all the kind of sort of quintessential Europeans, uh, filmmaker going to the States and finding strange Americans. But just constantly, I mean, Paul Sorrentino, I think, is one of the great directors of our time and just knows how to put together shots in in off-kilter but 
ways that somehow make sense and yeah. work emotionally and unexpected all at once. And I mean, I praised Consequences of Love before, which is one of my top yeah. t- 20 films of all time easily. And it's it, this is just such a strange wonder. And it feels like such an open film. And then in the last couple minutes, without trying to spoil too much, it kind of, it's like, um, and this is what it was about. And Ugh. it just feels like really kind of a little bit reductive, yeah. there, there, but um, but I, that that was that's for provisional on a first viewing. I'd l- I'd love to see it again, and I, mm. if I had a chance to see it again tomorrow on a big screen, I would in a heartbeat, because um, those moments are so special that like, and it, and it is it's, I think a lot of people didn't get that it was a comedy, and so like oh, some yeah. people like, it was laughable. I'm like, well, yeah, it's a comedy, you know. <laughs> um, um, anyway, your next one, Moonrise Kingdom, and I might uh, and we I... were at the same screening of that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom was a good film, and and I'll defend my statement that uh, that a friend took issue with. Outside of a festival appearance, for me, it probably would have done a little better, um, and partially probably because of the height. Which, um, but I'm I've said before, I'm not I'm not a big Wes Anderson yeah. fan. Um, I'm very kind of up and down on his content. Um, this is one of his better films, to my mind. Well, it's not the best, but it, it's it's a good one of his. And I think if people were going to approach his content um, or his films fresh, then this would be a good one. Um, great cast, some some nice sort of quirky characterization, but it just I was expecting more. I, I really enjoyed the trailer, and I enjoyed the, kind of the possibilities of what might sort of unfold. And it was good, but it just didn't didn't sort of go over the edge for me like um, it did for some people. I mean, I'm more of a Wes Anderson fan than you are, but I kind of um, lost the faith with Darjeeling Limited. And, oh, yeah. um, and then uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox I love, but it's kind of not a film that really sends a direction of what you're going to do next. It's yeah, just that yeah. kind of idiosyncratic little side yeah. project. Although there are touches of Fantastic Mr. Fox in this movie where he's used stop motion yeah. for some of the effect scenes. Um, and in the first ten minutes of this film, I almost walked out, because it just felt like everything I hate about the very cloying mm. mannered like uh, they, there's just something that re- really grated on it um and it's not to give too much away but basically it's set in this island community where two kids have run away from the respective places they're staying to pursue a young teen romance and once it got to the left left the adult world and went to those kids i suddenly really hooked into that world and really emotionally connected to the movie in a, and came around on it almost entirely. Um, some of the tone stuff didn't work quite for me. Um, the fate of the uh, dog character mm. and um, some stu- some of the action beats that happened. Um, I wasn't even sure how I felt. And then at the la- very last beat, when the um, title of the film kind of finally explains it, itself... Yeah. I was pretty moved, and so so I'd be curious. It's one of those films I think either on a second time, I'll forgive, or I'll come to terms with its stylistic yeah, yeah. Um, excesses that graded me and really fall in love with it, or we'll probably just sit there. But um, I can understand how people could fall in love with it. Mm. Um, next morning for you, I think we both went to documentaries. Uh, yeah, yes, um, but I'm, I missed, I actually missed uh, Side by Side. Ah, that's what I get for peeking at your list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I went to documentaries. I went to um, The Boy Who Was a King, which is... Oh, what's that one? Oh, you are going to ask that, aren't you? <laughs> um, basically, um, what's embarrassing is that, that since I've forgotten the country, basically it was this boy who was um, king, and then 
uh, through a series of successions, and then deposed, had to flee the country, and then came back and uh, after the monarchy was deposed, and ran and is and became prime minister. Oh. Uh, and so it's it's a strange story in that um, the lead character, beyond that kind of hook of like, whoa, he's this kid and he was king when he was eight, and there's some great historical mm. footage of him like ruling this mm. country while he was tooling around in a big wheel and stuff, and then, you know, having to flee and then come back. But um, he's a shockingly uncharismatic and so what happens is that the film rather than trying to you know flush his story out through him or people around him goes really sideways and they get into um people who've got tattoos of him taxidermists that are sort of tangentially related to it the tailor who made a special suit for Uh. him and so it it has this sort of almost errol morris Werner herzogy kind of like the strange world around this character it, it's it's not a world beating film but it was an interesting yeah. um unexpected choice um that and then i saw a uh, crazy horse after that which um is the frederick wiseman yeah, documentary yeah. which i was a bit disappointed by um i've only seen a couple wiseman films boxing gym and la dance oh, yeah. and a little bit of um uh belfast maine which is like 6 hours and what i love about his stuff is he takes the everyday and finds these great moments of unexpected verite yeah. life happening or takes these sort of moments and little like in boxing gyms great because it has all of these you know little bits of workout and people punching bags quickly or doing footwork and creates these suddenly beautiful montages yeah. of rhythm and um crazy horse is strangely constrained on both counts it's basically the crazy horse is a burlesque yeah. in uh paris and a historical one which he went to when he was a kid and and then, you know, came back to to do this film. And so a third's roughly performance documentation. Yeah. And so that goes as far or as not far as your feelings about those specific shows go. Um, um, there's only one or two that really use the camera above and beyond um, documenting the performance. Yeah. And a lot of them just didn't really appeal to me. A couple of them did a lot, but, you know, it's one of yeah. those... In a weird way, it was almost like when I watched Magic Mike the other day. It's like watching something that's sexy to somebody else, but not to you. It's like, <laughs> what, what, what am I getting out of this experience? Yeah. And then, like, it felt like he had some access early on that got cut off. I don't know if that's the case, but there's some juicy behind-the-scenes stuff that's developing. Yeah. And then in the second half of the film, you see less and less of it to the point where most of what you see is him filming other interview crews. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's quite strange on that front. There's... One of the best scenes I saw in the festival, though, is in it, which is about two-thirds of the way through. They have an open cattle call tryout. Right. And, um, you know, you have these burlesque shows that are quite, you know, perfectly made up, perfectly yeah. in tune. The lights are everything. And then you suddenly have these people who are amateurs going out there and you not knowing what to do and then being kind of put through this very demeaning process of all, you know, yeah. standing like herds of meat and, you know, them commenting quite bluntly on the shape of their breasts or buttocks or what have you and it's just it's quite electric actually um and just felt like this really powerful moment um of reality being captured that yeah how about you uh i saw uh bernie on the first weekend and that was uh the link later film with uh collaboration with uh jack black about the the mortician um or assistant mortician um 
And that was actually really good. Um, it was better than I expected. Um, I guess my expectation was partially lowered by Jack Black, who I'm not a great fan of. But um, I, reckon, I reckon he's the Will Smith of avuncular comedians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> like, much so. And he suited the role very much so because there was a lot of performance in it. Like uh, the actual guy Bernie that he's playing is someone who sings and is into theatre, and um, and so he suits the role. And and I, and I saw a lot of comments about it being a breakout performance where you know he. You know, he shows a great level of restraint um, where Linklater is taking what's quite a dark kind of story um, and injecting an uh, amount of humour that Black brings, but Black is quite, um, you know, shows a good level of restraint. But I sort of think he's not really doing much more than another actor might do, except that, a bit like when Jim Carrey does a role that's outside of norm, people go, oh my goodness, he can actually act. Right. Um, And I think, well, it was a great performance, but it wasn't standout standout but what for me what really worked was um Linklater's construction of a a blend of dramatization and documentary created a true docudrama because uh he has all these great actors and there's another um McConaughey role in there which was really good um he's had quite a year hasn't he yeah yeah much more later um but then he blends it seamlessly with these um with these kind of documentary style um talking head interviews which seemed really raw and quite thing, and it wasn't until kind of partway through that I that I twigged that these are well. I, I was kind of umming and ahhing. Is this real or is this? And right. I said I don't recognise these people. And then, sure enough, um, it's a blend of um, actual interviews with actual townsfolk who knew the guy, talking blended in with the the dramatisation stuff, um, but not made really clear in the cuts about you know right. what's what. And so he does some of that kind of talking head sort of stuff with some of the actors as well. You know? And this is, I actually, this yeah. is showing now, so I'd be quite yeah. keen to go yeah, I, check I think it out. Really, it, was, it was something I intended to see at the festival, but knew it would come back. It's quite an interesting story. And, and it was interesting reading, um, I, I saw an interview with Linklater earlier. Um, he was in Texas, I think, when the trial was coming, actually coming, uh, he'd heard of it coming up, and he was like, what the crap? And so he went along to the to the court hearings and what have you, and and was just fascinated by this whole story and that that they had to move you know some of the stuff that had to happen with the trial because of um how well liked this guy was right um yeah and and so yeah it was just um a, re- a really interesting story that was kind of well put well constructed and plays nicely as a kind of black comedy cool come documentary <laughs> now now um just to go back to one of mine did you see any local films this year um i saw marty boy genius okay um uh, what did you think of it yeah, it wasn't too bad. Um, it's, it's an interesting story, um, and and has holds interest um, for me from a, a perspective of a, of a young Maori boy, sort of living in the expectation, of, like iwi expectation and Fano expectation, um, and how he kind of works it out, but also kind of him sort of accepting some of that role and 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 then it becoming who he is. But it was pretty pretty run of the mill documentary, I think. You yeah. know? Like it wasn't anything great as a film, but the the subject was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. The one, um, and I always feel slightly guilty for not seeing more Kiwi films at the festival. And, yeah. Um, and the one film that I did see, which I was exceptional, and I mm. was one of the contenders for that number ten slot, is a How Far Is Heaven? Which oh, actually, yeah, that's one I really wanted to see. It opens Thursday. It. Yeah, yeah and um, it's. Um, and I, I should admit up front that I know um, <clears throat> the filmmakers, Chris Pryor and Miriam Smith. Oh, okay. um, that aside, I mean, I, I probably would just be polite and pass if I didn't yeah. actually like it a lot. It's it's about um, these three nuns, you know, living in 
uh, a community Fungary called River. yeah, yeah called Jerusalem. Jerusalem, and uh, their um, I know some com- from community, uh, or you know their, and the way that they sort of interact with this community, which is largely Maori, mm-hmm. and and in particular, um, it's mostly the youths that we see the interaction with mm-hmm. through them teaching and them. Um, but then also the the filmmakers will go off with the children, and it's very much um, it's very much a uh, observational documentary. Doesn't even quite cut it because it's mm. it's 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 almost like hanging out with documentary, yeah. you know. And it's just um, it's very non judgmental. It's very soft pedals. What could be, um, you know, there there could have been a hard hitting documentary made about some of the social issues or some mm. of the other things but what it instead does is give those characters room to breathe without judgment yeah. um there's lots of questions you could ask that aren't asked about you know the validity of like what the what work how how useful is their faith to these people yeah. is it making a difference um do 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 they need um other support in the community to help these kids get through yeah. but it's it's not a you don't come away with the feeling of, oh, these poor kids or anything like that. It's yeah. like, you know, you come away with these lovable human beings yeah. and some of, some of whom are flawed, some of whom in major ways, but um, just had a generosity of spirit and a beauty of photography. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think some people have found it so narratively slight as to be a bit frustrating. Yeah. But um, for me, I just thought it was a generous, wonderful film. Hmm. Um and now I'm wondering why I didn't put it in my top nine. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm keen to. Yeah, I'm, keen to um, I'm just looking at your schedule and keeping pace with mine. I bashed through a couple quickly that I saw on that Sunday. Yeah. Um, probably the inverse in terms of documentaries is Pink Ribbons Inc., which is about the mm. um, uh, commercialization of the breast cancer yeah. movement and specifically the pink ribbons. Um, it's strident agitprop with a very strong point of view yeah, that's yeah. hammered home, <clears throat> but it's freaking interesting and yeah. and the people that they have are very acerbic witty insightful commentators and yeah, yeah. um and there's a lot of uh, for me it kind of um the really exciting stuff i mean one of the themes i get interested in is identity and what how people define themselves as human yeah. beings and there's a lot of pointed questions around like well what does it mean to be a breast cancer survivor and you know they talk with people who are stage four and are terminal and there's kind of like this um, these these horrifyingly sad moments where it's like, well, if breast cancer is something we're supposed to be able to beat, does that mean that people who haven't are a failure? And mm. like, what does it mean when that kind of identity of this survivor of that you know kind of overcomes maybe other things? And it's just like, wow, these are really complicated, interesting. Hmm. questions and then it then it goes down the oh and corporations are bad corporations are bad corporations are bad which you know fair enough um you know there's um uh there's some horrifying and rightly so things pointed out in the film um but i thought i thought it was very much worth a look um gerhard richter painting um again a formally distinct basically um gerhard richter's uh one of the wealthiest most famous living painters Hmm. um he's also one of my personal favorite painters he works Hmm. in a bunch of different milieus but um the paintings he's working on for uh over the course of this film are largely um abstract and uh 
it's a lot, probably a third of the running time is devoted to just watching him paint. Um, it's almost painfully um, single-minded in its commitment to observational documentary. Oh, yeah. um, there's no traditional sit-down interviews. There's no yeah. narration, um, which I respect, but it leads to a point where there's this really awkward sequence two-thirds of the way through where he's going through pictures and in sort of he's, oh, I'm filing pictures, but then getting through this biographical information that way. <laughs> it's kind of, it's, uh, it's, it's something I've noticed about German cinema. I, I saw Afternoon at Monday at the oh, yeah. Film Society and often there'll be um, some aesthetic rules that they adhere to so rigidly that it kind of counterbalances what's best yeah. for the film. But um, still, uh, probably not a generalist documentary, but as somebody yeah. who loves... Um, and, and I think anyone who's ever seen an abstract expressionist painting and wondered about it and wondered why it exists would be worth seeing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, Sleepless Night, which was the French action film, which uh, was in the main cast. Basically, it's like about a cop who gets involved with it, uh, stealing some drugs from some other criminals no, to try to resell them film. and then um <laughs> and then his kid gets kidnapped yeah. and then basically it, what was billed as die hard in a nightclub yeah. um it's it i didn't work for me it was okay but yeah. it was it was kind of like it wasn't a compelling enough character movie to be that it wasn't um it didn't have giant set pieces yeah um and it and and it and it in a pre-the-raid universe, it might have had relentless enough action for me to be like, oh, it's really relentless. Post-the-raid, it's kind of like, well... Yeah. I've seen the raid. Um, it's not a terrible movie, yeah. but... Um, and it's... it's Yeah, it's fine. Chalk it up to a reasonable yeah. genre, genre for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Yeah. So... How, how about you? Okay, so... Um, Monday I caught um, Angel Shear, the new Loach film. Um, We've established my feelings about yeah, yeah, Loach yeah. in the past. And although this would probably be a more amenable Loach. This is a very approachable Ken Loach and very, and I, I, I guess it kind of sort of heads further down the, the, the road of, um, I don't know if you saw looking for Eric, um, which was kind of, well, with less silliness and looking for Eric had some kind of surrealist, slightly silly moments, um, meshed in with the sort of social realist nightmarish bits. This had the, this was a very much a social realist kind of, um, setting and mm. some some guys that uh, well a, bu- a bunch of guys and girls who who were uh, essentially doing whatever their version of parole sort of work uh, community work. Basically, my understanding is it's a movie about Scotch, which is the main reason I want to see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, some guys doing community work, and one of the guys who's looking after the community workers has an interest in Scotch, and he's trying to take interest in these people and these young guys to try and get and girls to try and I guess get them out of their cycle of whatever they're in, violence or theft or whatever. And so he ends up taking them uh, along to some a scotch tasting and realises that there's some... Uh, like, one of the the main character guy has a, uh, has a natural sort of palate and nose. Um, and so they work on developing that and f- as a focus for him to kind of move away from his, um, his rage issues, anger issues. Right, OK. Um, and then... A story sort of comes off that, which is a bit more sort of fantastical, but sort of based off a, based around a very rare scotch that was found uh, in real life um, uh, from a distillery, an, an old batch from a distillery that had closed down, that was gifted to another one that was subsequently found years later, and uh, and I think auctioned for a lot of money. And so they they play off that kind of 
actual storyline with a with a kind of a a kind of not a kind of a light storyline, but then sort of play through the more serious issues across that light comedic storyline. Okay. So, so yeah, it's it's a so worth another still, look if you haven't enjoyed some of his yeah, darker stuff. Yeah, very much. Okay. So. And it's very it's approachable. It's, well. it's, and it's a very enjoyable, quite a um, like a, a sort of a feel good film, uh, okay. bit of comedy, but with with the kind feel of, good scares me. With with a bit of comedy, but but also with the very much the kind of the the social realist aesthetics sitting like underpinning the whole thing. So okay, yeah, cool. And uh, what's next for you? Um, I uh, caught up with um, oh, room two thirty seven. Now this yes. was this was quite divisive with uh, the people I, I um, know who saw it. Yeah, um, I'm 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 a fan as well. It was one of the um, competitors I, for that tenth slot. Yeah, I and same with me. Um, but I, th- I feel like I almost feel like um, we're in the minority there. Yeah, well, I think there's a couple things. I think. A couple people thought it was going to be a, a documentary about The Shining, yeah. which it's not. Yeah, a no. couple people were offended by the um, just the kind of technical presentation and mm. that um, the film. So basically, to explain what Room Two Thirty Seven is, is yeah. it's um, interviews with five people. Yeah, yeah five, five people, people who are fascinated with The Shining and have various um, theories. One might say conspiracy, conspiracy theories, theories. <laughs> about um, what The Shining. What Kubrick really was trying to means. say, yeah. each each crazier than the last, <laughs> but but compelling in that every time it seems completely irredeemably crazy, yeah. they'll tie it back to a detail in the film yeah. where you see that, and so you never see these faces. Um, yeah, that's one of the things that I think uh, that that sort of put a few people off is that he's mm-hmm. interviewing these these four or five uh, these five people um, with their theories, um, and you get a lot of sort of talking head stuff, but he never actually puts them on on camera. He's always yeah. doing uh, like bizarre pieces from The Shining, or or I think some of the the reasons that people thought it wouldn't come back for copyright reasons because he takes massive clips from other films. Yeah, um, eyes wide shuts in there. Yeah. Uh, Lumberto Bava's Demons, which that made yeah, me happy. Yeah. Was that what was used as the lots uh, of clips from other films? Um, yeah, apparently it's all cleared. Clips. It's all oh, really? cleared according oh, okay. to um, an interview I read. At least in the states, I don't know about internationally, yeah. but it's getting a proper release in the states, oh, well, and and they've done proper job of clearing it. There's a lot of fair use stuff, but yeah, I don't know if there's international issues. To my mind, um, I, I mean, it, it obviously uh, evinces some. Uh, respect for Kubrick and love for The Shining without yeah. actually kind of being a study of that at all. It's it's a study of obsession, really. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's not a film about The Shining. It's a no. film about being uh, about how people develop these conspiracies and get lost in the, in the, the minutiae of, yeah. of of little details in, in films. Yeah, and 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 not just films. I think I, I mean oh, I, I often had yeah. flashbacks to you know. Um, sort of nine eleven truthers, or oh, yeah. even just a lot of, or you know, the the birthers, the birth certificate mm. people, and there is this um, tendency that we have as humans to fix on these data points that support our um, yeah. belief, and um, and then ignore those that oppose them or contextualize them in such a way that it supports yeah. it. Further. But it was fasc- it was yeah. a fascinating look at that kind of an obsession and and how that spools out. For people, um, and yeah, yeah, and, and, and um, for me, I, I just found it uh, intriguing. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't tear my eyes away. It was, it was great. Yeah, I, I loved it too. And um, yeah, I, I think, 
I, I, I hope it gets... I hope some of the people who saw it the first time and were like, oh, I, don't, I don't know about this, maybe give it a second look with yeah. reset expectations. Yeah, so I, yeah. think, I think it's a film if you came to with the wrong idea you could really hate. Yeah. And then to see it for what it is, I mean, maybe you'll still hate it, but yeah. at least hate it, hate it for what it is. Um, but it certainly gets a reaction, yeah. so yeah, well worth a look if you get a chance. Yeah, I, I stuck around after that for the um, the only of the Herzog films that I saw at the festival, oh. which was actually the two oh, two of the, of the Death Row stories. Yep. Um, and I, I was not... Um, I guess I wasn't enamored enough with them to check out either Into the Abyss or the other Death Row stories. Um, I called Into the Abyss. Yeah, so. um, they're, not, well, yeah they're not... Um, I mean, Death Row stories is basically a series of one hours of Death Row. Yeah, kind of um, made for television. Yeah, and I think I think initially the guy for in, or the people from Into the Abyss were for one of these things, and yeah. then that spooled out into a feature. Yeah, but um, yeah, there's not really much to say about them. There, the, apart from, there's a couple Herzogy questions here or there, but um, a lot of it feels like television you know it's like yeah it does it yeah. feels really made for television the, the feature yeah. felt really made for television to me as well yeah um and i to me it was really light herzog fear yeah um, they're reasonably interesting stories but yeah they seem like the kind of story that you could watch almost any night at home on television yeah you know and there's nothing particularly spectacularly interesting in the filmmaking or the quality of it mm-hmm. um and I don't know, like it, it's it's interesting viewing, like you say, but I, you expect a bit more from Herzog. Yeah, um, and yeah, that was one of the ones that I just thought, oh yeah, this is all right, but I could have done without it. Cool. What's next up for you? Um, for me, uh, I, oh, another documentary. I went to see the Bob Marley documentary, Marley, um, and that again was uh, wasn't it like eight hours or something? Yeah, <laughs> no, just like uh, two and a half. I think right. something like that, two and a half, or just under two and a half. Right. It was. It was a really good, thorough uh, rundown of Bob Marley's sort of main points of his life, his music, um, and the things he aimed to achieve. Had a lot of interviews. It was, it was very much a kind of pretty standard sort of talking head. Um, mixed Bob in Marley with, changed music forever. Mixed in with concert footage. No, no, no. Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't really so much. Like it, it, it showed the kind of the ideals he was aiming for and how he kind of how he reached them to some degree but not really in others mm-hmm. um it, it was quite balanced like it was really it had um good lot of interviews with um with his kids with uh, mostly ziggy and one of his daughters whose name escapes me um ziggy was a little more um circumspect i guess but his daughter was really quite bitter about having lost her father or f- uh, ha- having a feeling of of having lost her father to the to this sort of myth um, that he sort of felt a responsibility outside greater than his sort of immediate family, and so his time and energy went to to, to a lot of that sort of stuff. Is it a film that, if you, I mean, I have no particular care for Bob Marley's music, is it something that's still worth seeing? Uh, it's hard to say. I, th- I think it is, in that it's it's such a good overview of him and his life, um, and from a point of view of of a significant person in music history but also in, in sort of political history in Jamaica and and, and uh, some of that area um, then yeah I think it's it's worth a look but if you really are, not, are adverse to reggae or, or whatever then oh, it doesn't cause me physical pain yeah, it's just yeah. like that's, that's just not yeah. I mean 
I, I, yeah. I, for me, it was um, it was it held an extra layer of interest because I grew up listening to Bob Marley. Um, I wore out tapes, yeah. um, and I, I grew up in like when I was young. We grew up in Gisborne and had um, relations up the East Coast, um, where there is a you know, significant rust community, um, <laughs> and. And so I, I was I was really interested, but I, I there was a lot of stuff in there that I had no idea about, um, okay. or because I was quite young, I, I just didn't comprehend quite his part in things or exactly the the kind of successes and failures of his um, ideology or how he tried to sort of live out that faith. Okay. But yeah, I, I think it's worth a look um, for anyone that sort of has a minor interest. I think they'll find. Cool. Because, um, I mean, there is something you said about going to documentaries about people that you aren't necessarily immediately interested yeah. in adverse to. I saw um, the Marina Abramovich oh, documentary, yeah, yeah. The Artist is Present. And, um, I've heard that. It's fantastic. Um, I have some issues with it that have to do about the filmmaking. Right. Um, but I will say that um, basically Mar- Marina Abramovich, for those who don't know, is a performance artist yeah. um, whose uh, work I first became familiarized when I went to... Um, the Whitney and there was a, some pictures from a thing where her performance was to have an opening and she sent a prostitute to the opening whilst um, she was uh, working as the prostitute right. in that. And um, there's um, other um, performances she's done that involve weapons being on the floor near her, other states of, ex- of um, self-endangerment. Right. And, I, and I found it all as somebody who maybe has a slightly more traditionalist view of art, <laughs> found it... Um, uh, I, fuck it, I won't be polite. I found it to be pretentious try-hard wankery. Yeah, and yeah. so... Um, but it, it fit in an open slot, and it had a lot of um, positive reviews. And it's like, okay, well, let's see what this is about. I came away really with a new appreciation of what she did and the level of commitment, what it meant, and... Um, yeah, just just the nature. I mean, you see a lot of footage of her old yeah. performances, and you you. I mean, for instance, the the <clears throat> performance the film is based around, called "The Artist Is Present," is where she sat in a MoMA for um, ninety plus days. I forget how many. Um, just standing, sitting still at a table, and people could sit across from her. Yeah, as long as as little as they wanted until near the end, where it became such a huge um tourist attraction that they'd only let people sit for like 10 minutes or something but um the actual what it physically takes to sit still and not do anything for that long for that many days in a row is actually quite stunning and i mean she's done other pieces that are physically challenging in various ways and and you really start to realize that yeah this isn't just there's a, there's a lot of there's a whole message of contemporary art and yeah. people say oh anybody can do that and you look at it and say no not anybody yeah, can do, can that. do yeah. that um so th- that was great from a craft perspective i think there's some sloppy storytelling i yeah. think there's some unnecessary attempts to mythologize or even more yeah. uh, it it got to the point where um i mean i made that comment about marley did everyone say yeah. marley was a god cuz that's how marina abramovich is treated oh, yeah. in this film and and there's certain tricks that they've played in the editing to yeah. make her look even... Yeah. What, what she does even, is even more impressive than it is. For instance, once the um, performance starts, they cover two months of her doing that without um, ever hearing a soundbite from her. Yeah. And you kind of think, oh my gosh, she's there this whole time. But 
of course, you know, she's getting yeah. up at the end of yeah. every one of these days and going back. And near the end, you see her during that. Yeah. But it's one of those things where they, they've been like, oh, my God, she's going and she's still going. And, it's, and, yeah. you, and you realize that they've twisted the yeah, yeah. thing to give you this impression when, in fact, you know what? If you didn't do that, it's still pretty damn impressive. impressive yeah. And it's still fascinating because of seeing people's reactions yeah. to that. So, anyway, yeah. that's my Marina Abramovich rant. Um, well worth seeing, I reckon, though, for anybody who's interested yeah. in that. Um, uh, what about you? I uh, I caught um, I caught Salas's uh, adaptation of uh, Kerouac's On the Road, um, which have you read the book? Yes, yes, a fan. Yeah, yeah, I am actually. Okay. Um, I mean, it's it's not to everyone's taste. It's a very kind of stream of consciousness. I'm a, I'm a fan. I've read it as well. And, and, so. and to that to that uh, to that end, I think. It's it's a difficult adaptation. Um, some of it has to do with um, the character set being somewhat unlikable um, from a modern perspective, and that they they seem like a quite a privileged, um, almost kind of self indulgent lot to a large right. degree. Um, and the lack of context, or the relative lack of context, I think means that they uh, they come across more so shallow and privileged and indulgent. Um, in the film than they probably do in the book, um, which is well, because for me the book is is so much about the pro stylings yeah. of Kerouac. Yeah, and that's, I mean it reminds me of The Road by yeah. McCarthy. Yeah, um, where like I felt like the movie like adapted the content faithfully, but by missing the voice of it, it was so divorced yeah. from what made the book special that it was irrelevant. I haven't seen On the Road oh, yet, yeah. so I don't know if the same thing I, applies. I, no, I, for me, I felt I felt like he captured the basic sort of tones okay um the road really does dominate which is pretty cool um that whole kind of um sense of the not the wide open spaces so much but as as the diverse spaces of america yeah um, of the united states um that as a i mean you probably have more of a sense of as a as a native but um I've been there a couple of times. Yeah, yeah but, but, but um, you know, it's it's out west a lot. It's just Colorado. Ah, uh, yeah, region, Colorado. Yeah. No, but it's a lot of New York, Colorado, okay. um, Miami down south, kind of thing, okay. um, or Alabama. Um, yeah, just a lot of and through Montana and all like this, just the diversity, but also the kind of the the kind of ever changing cultural dialects um, to be found in the place. Um, comes across as well where all the different people that they kind of meet up with are very the communities are very kind of in some ways they have some shared similarities but in some ways very different as well um, so I think he kind of did a good job of capturing kind of the, the scope of the place and the scope of the the diversity um, that right. the book kind of it, it canvases and encompasses um, but yeah it, it had some issues with um, just not really being able to quite capture the power of the of the prose, right? Um, and the, and you know, you, the film is probably not going to be able to do that. Um, I have a very important question for you. Yeah, how's Amy Adams? Uh, she is pretty pretty damn good. Okay. Um, for all of for everyone's talk of of um, of Garrett Hedlund being quite impressive, and he was pretty good in the um um in the the Dean character. Um, okay. Uh, I, I was actually I preferred Sam Riley um, right, okay. as the kind of the narrator, Cell Paradise, um, 
uh, as the Jack Kerouac kind of standard. I I thought he he was as impressive with much less kind of um, to work with. Right. Um, because it's a less showy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kristen Stewart is fine. You know, she she does she does a job, but she she doesn't have a lot. You know, it's not it's not terribly taxing stuff, but she does it well. Yeah. Um, Kirsten Dunst is fantastic. She kind oh, of, she's in it. Yeah, okay. she plays the second wife, um, uh, whose name falls out of my head. Mary Lewis, um, um, Kristen Stewart, but uh, uh, yeah, she plays. I can't remember her name, but um, she is uh, she's really good uh, as the kind of there's like Dean's character in the book and in the film is the kind of person personality that's really kind of a magnetic personality, but kind of face you know people are faithfully drawn to this um, yeah. to this incredibly hot burning light moth light moth yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially <laughs> essentially it's like that and then they get burnt and they know it's going to happen, but they can't help themselves but they still end up kind of bitter and twisted but at the same time and uh yeah and Kirsten Dunst's um character with whom uh he has a couple of children um is uh, she just plays the 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 kind of ill-fated embittered slowly embittered partner quite well okay yeah cool um, I saw um, my least favorite film, I think, of the film festival this day, <laughs> um, Hamizu, um, oh, Sion Sono, and oh, um, yeah. the, no, actually, there's one film I liked less, which we'll get to later, but um, yeah, um, and I love Sion Sono's uh, Cold Fish oh, yeah. and Love Exposure, yeah. um, and Cold Fish, I know, had its detractors and people who found it fatally offensive, and um, Love Exposure is four hours long, so I can understand people having <laughs> trouble with it, but um Hamizu is one of the most tonally incoherent films and almost on every level incoherent films that I've ever seen. Um, and it's just combining this kind of thin, incredibly thin teen rebellion gangster kind of, um, storyline with possibly some supernatural stuff with some crazy ass family stuff (laughs) with, Real life disaster um, footage yeah, that's right. from um, yeah. yeah from yeah and from Fukushima and around and it it just um, I, yeah and I don't know how much of it is the feeling that it's all fun and games until you start bringing real life tragedy into it yeah and how much is that even if that had been set dressing it still would have been an incoherent yeah movie. Um, but yeah, it just didn't work for me at all. And I know a lot of other people who had similar reactions, although I just saw a review on Twitch today of somebody saying it was his masterpiece. <laughs> disagree. Um, yeah. and I saw neighboring sounds that day as well. Which, oh, okay. Did you see the Brazilian No, I, I missed that one. Yeah. It, it's interesting. It's, um, I was really excited about it at the start and, um, and there's some editing in the first few minutes when it's kind of setting up the world a bit. Yeah. It's almost like. Um, an overture to the film yeah. that I, I was like, wow, if the whole film's like this and kind of, you know, abstract and kind of this strange pairing of you don't quite know what the narrative is, but you're having these sounds connect you from one yeah. scene skip to another, then it's it, it just got me so energized. And then the rest of the film was a slow deflation, which turned into a quick deflation at the end, huh. as it's more like, oh, yeah, actually, it's just kind of like increasing with these five or so 
overlapping stories so, in this yeah. neighborhood that you you know you've seen those kind of split narrative yeah. things with not a lot of clarity as to why they're focusing on what yeah. or when and um and then sort of a turn off the road in the last 10 or 15 minutes which kind of up till then it's kind of very focused like one day on one block yeah kind yeah. of you know this unity and then all of a sudden it, it's covering huge s- s- chunks of time everything sort of spinning out and then like it, it almost feels like oh we need to have some bigger stakes at the end so let's <laughs> bring this in it's yeah yeah i mean it'd be interesting to see again and see if maybe i missed something about it but it just didn't um have that yeah. overall coherence oh, yeah. friday okay yep so uh for me there was and i i, guess, I, I think you saw sightseers as well i did see sightseers this, this, was, that was... this was battling for number 10 position for me same here um, yeah it was one of the one of the strange section genre films um, from Ben Wheatley. Um, that, they did kill us last year. Yeah. This is, um, and yeah, uh, yeah I, I just uh, I really enjoyed uh, the the sort of the the meshing of this kind of black comedy uh, serial killer genre film stuck in what for, for probably many of us is, is a very kind of unfamiliar terrain in the Midlands yeah um, I've spent some time in the Midlands and I was sitting next to a Midlands native watching it um, mm. and he kind of jokingly commented uh, I've been on a caravan trip like that and I wanted to kill some people as well <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and yeah it's about a, a, it's kind of a a very dowdy slightly you, know, you wouldn't call them odd you call them just kind of very slight, average slightly geeky couple from the midlands and the uk um who go on a caravanning trip and it all goes awry and and then they they find the darker sides of themselves in a very humorous way i, I think it becomes clear as it goes on that they're less and less average if yeah, they yeah. Ever seen like that at the start da- yeah um but um but it's yeah. fantastic and, and it was um it was also fronted by a very amusing australian short called bear um, which was very well done as well. Yeah, which I, I'm not going to say a single thing yeah. about, but it, yeah. Bear was great. Uh, it's by the same group that did um, uh, Blue Tongue Films, who did a short called Spider. Oh, yeah. And um, I, they're affiliated with An- Animal Kingdom and Wish You Were Here oh, okay, good, as yeah. well. I yeah. don't I don't yeah. understand all the... So, so I'd say, if, if you like um, genre film, uh, it's a, I'd say it's a must-see. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting, because, um, you know, my I, lo- I lo- liked Kill List a lot, and my biggest issue with it was that it was quite obviously there's a lot of improv in it. Yeah. And it almost felt like that when they got done filming it, in some ways it'd be like, okay, now go back and use that as the script and yeah. film it again and smooth out all those rough edges. And Sightseers was actually um, the two lead actors are improv comedians who developed wrote, yeah. the script. And I think there was still some element of improv. But um, structurally, um, not just not just structurally overall, but moment to moment, it just felt so much stronger yeah, and focused. Um, it's obviously a very different film where Killist is disturbing and often creepy. Yeah. This is, um, I mean, I guess maybe slightly disturbing if you're of delicate sensibilities. But it's mostly yeah, but just, if you're it's a mostly horror fan, then it's not at all, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, it's one of those that I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give too many cautions for no, most I, of my friends about watching it you know and it just it's so winningly funny yeah. so frequently um yeah um and goes yeah big fan of that one um probably my favorite that i saw of the um tied with room 237 of the uh, incredibly strange fest um if i had seen clown again 
it would have probably done even better because I loved Clown. Oh, okay. but I'd I seen it at Fantastic Fest. I was Fest. really hoping. To. Yeah, I, I, I meant to go, but because of my sickness, like, oh, I, yeah. if I started laughing, I'd start coughing. And yeah. in general, I think that's one of the reasons. Uh, we'll get to Cabin in the Woods later, but um, I had to physically restrain myself at some of the screenings from laughing, oh, yeah. which really changes how you interact with the movie. Oh. Um, yeah, so uh, I saw um, Taboo that day. Oh, uh, which is oh shit, no, we won't talk about taboo now. Uh, in another country, we will talk about yep. um, the Hong Song latest Hong Song oh, yeah, yeah, film. Yeah. Um, and from Hong Song Su's biggest fan. Yeah, yeah from, yes. <laughs> um, and it, 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 what's what's making me happy is I'm starting to talk to people who are getting excited about Hong Song Su films. Uh, Hugh Lily and Sequential on Twitter was oh, like, yeah. get quite a big fan of that, and I think. I think there's something about his filmmaking that the more films you see by him, the more you appreciate <laughs> each of them because they're they're kind of all so similar and part of the yeah. same world that kind of like the minute variations. I think I made the single malt scotch comparison in yeah. the previous podcast, but um, this one's one of his more accessible ones. It's actually a great starting point for anyone who's curious because um, it's basically like there's a young teenage woman who's or maybe early twenties woman working. At a at a resort on a beach community in Korea, and um, she writes three stories, and um, you see each of the stories filmed, and they each ha- have a different lead character, but each of the characters is played by Isabel Huppert, yeah, yeah. and so, but um, she's playing a different character in each one, yeah. but many of the other um, characters in the um, community that she interacts with at the hotel and what have you are yeah. similar including yeah. um one of my favorite characters in any film i saw at the festival who's the um uh, a lifeguard who's um it's a film where everybody's kind of having affairs or being yeah. you know doing it cross purposes and you know hiding what they really think or only letting it out under extreme circumstances and this guy's the complete like naive unguarded puppy dog um, and just such a weird but wonderful addition to a Hong Song Su universe, yeah. and 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 definitely gets the lion's share of the laughs and yeah. the interesting moments. Um, so yeah, in another country is a great starting point for him. Probably not my favorite Hong, yeah. um, but definitely not my favorite Hong. But um, yeah, a lot of people love it. Cool. Next for you. On to Saturday. Yep. Yeah. So I, I went to the uh, Tunes for Tots. Um, little uh animation collection i almost feel like we should just send people directly to the url of your uh, yeah. the child's I, I review t- i took my um my now four-year-old uh daughter um to third uh, uh in cinema film experience what were the first two um a friend took her to arthur christmas was her first one which mm. apparently she really loved and was fantastic at she just a quick background, she's a very scatty kind of child who struggles to sit still doing anything. Scatty? Yeah. Well, like, I don't think that means the same thing in America. It means in oh, Kiwi. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Like, she's kind of a bit all over the place. Scattered. Okay, yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, the second one I took her to was the Muppet, um, more recent Muppet film, which uh, wasn't quite as kid-aimed as I'd hoped. Um, right. Not that she had, she didn't, she didn't issues with it, more that she got a little bit um, restless and bored and was right. racing around the theatre a little bit. She didn't have nostalgia for We Built This City. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. um, yeah, so for this one she really enjoyed it. I managed to get her to sit in her seat the entire time, although we did have some conversations. She was yelling stuff out to the screen, but it seemed to be quite appropriate with the uh, with the audience. Um, 
Yeah, uh, just had the latest um, Gruffalo film, which is a series of books about the, this mystical beast called Gruffalo. Um, for me, the most interesting uh, little piece was this uh, animation involving cakes, uh, where they decorated cakes in interesting ways and then animated them by putting them on a record player turntable um, and spinning them around, and they'd, the decorations sort of formed almost like a flip book. Right, animation. Okay. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, I really That's clever. It. It's called Alimation. It's a French uh, or Belgian one. I can't remember. Um, she kind of uh, other ones appealed to her. She really liked this one with um, a bunch of animals. Another French one, I think, where a bunch of animals get scared. Or a couple of monkeys get scared by something, I think, and then they race off through the um, jungle, collecting all the animals. Um, by saying this is a big frightening thing and they go and eventually find the lion who comes back and says, oh, I'm going to sort this out. turns out that it's just um, coconuts falling off a tree <laughs> and then he gets hit on the head and they all laugh and then he gets angry, roars, and then he laughs. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it was a nice little collection for kids. Yeah, that was a good, good choice. Yeah. Yeah, not, not boring for you? No, I enjoyed, no, I, I, I enjoyed it. Should I have gone to see it? I, it's hard to say, you know. Mm. Like, if you're into animation, then, like, I think my friend Nigel works in an animator was um, keen to see it, but couldn't fit it in. Yeah. Um, I think if you like animated collections um, and interesting little things, then, yeah, it, w- it would probably be interesting for stuff written for quite young. I saw, um, speaking of kids' animations, I wanted to see the new uh, Studio Ghibli um, from up on Poppy Hill. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, which I was actually physically threatened on Twitter if I said bad words about but I think the Statue of Limitations is passed yeah. um, it's it's I don't I was I was in a bit of a dark mood when I saw it for yeah. not, reasons not worth getting into um, but it, it it felt very slight it felt yeah. um, it's one of the Studio Ghibli's um, is uh, it Hayao Miyazaki? Uh, it's actually Goro Miyazaki oh, but oh, from, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. from a Hayao Miyazaki script and Goro Miyazaki previously did Tales from Earthsea yes, which was yes. pretty much a disaster um, I didn't th- mind that really? wow I, I didn't love it um, but I'm a, quite a fan of the books and I just finished reading the anthology right I hadn't read the books and it was incoherent to oh, me okay. so yeah. maybe yeah. that helps um, I had no idea what I was looking at and most of the time didn't care this tells a clear story um, and it's just one of those um, uh, that it's set in 60s Japan leading up to the um, the Olympics coming there, but it's mostly right. about this um, school that the kids go to, and this um, girl falls in love with this boy there, and they you know have this awkward thing of like, oh, are we, aren't we? And then they come together, and then they're separated, and then yeah. you can kind of guess where it, where it goes. It's, it's one of those things that, it, from a dramatic perspective, every question that it brings up you already know how it's yeah, going to yeah. be answered yeah. I, and it's just it is quite um and it so it is just like if you if you if you're tuned to its gentle vibe i can i mean it's a lot of people i was literally the only person i saw who didn't say anything glowing about it on twitter afterwards i was following the hashtag and i'm just like maybe i'm the grinch maybe if i saw it a different time <laughs> so um but i just can't like it get people enthused to check it out until yeah. they've watched My Neighbor Totoro, at least. Yeah. So, go see Totoro. That's my review from Up on Poppy Hill. <laughs> I, I also saw um, In the Fog, which I mentioned briefly uh, before. Yeah, yeah. Um, the director of In the Fog, Sergei Loznitsa, it's his second yeah, he dramatic did, uh, film. Yeah, My Joy last My year. Joy, which I loved My Joy, um, although it, it took me looking up the narrative online um, to actually work out what had happened afterwards, and then I enjoyed <laughs> it even more. Um, 
no one will have to look up the narrative of In the Fog. Okay. Um, the narrative of In the Fog could actually be uh, communicated in roughly 12 minutes of screen time. Okay. Um, it's a pretty straightforward World War II story. So it doesn't have all the kind um, of the cyclical, um, repeated sort of action of. No, no, it's 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 one film, and there's another one I'll mention later um, that feels quite dispiriting in the sense that the director's like, okay, I'm going to put aside all the crazy stuff that I do and try to make something more respectable. Oh, yeah. um, and so it doesn't have sort of the anarchic confusion of my joy where things are going off. There's kind of there's two flashbacks in it, but other than that, it's pretty much straight narrative the whole way and the flashbacks are really clear and um because i got a really tarkovsky vibe off my joy yeah i i I mean you might be able i mean it's slow but um (laughs) it's it's almost comically slow um but it it just didn't have and i'm not saying that necessarily intrinsically as a pejorative i mean the turin horse is slow yeah it's fucking slow but um it's also there's something just so captivating about the rhythms of the filmmaking um whereas this just felt slow and and yeah it's impressive that that, you know some of the handling a single shot for each scene and there's moments where i intellectually appreciate it there's a couple shots that are nice but it just felt like that kind of sad thing when you see a filmmaker walking away from everything that makes them special yeah how's your uh so we get into monday for you uh yeah, Monday. Oh, it's some uh some uh a great film that I'll talk about later. Um I I saw probably I think it was my only kind of um retro screening. Uh I was hoping to see The Shining and I missed it. Um unfortunately, but I saw Bonjour Tristes or Tristes? Tristes. Um which was the Otto Preminger um film. Uh, how would I? I'm, I was kind of gutted. I missed it. I own it on DVD and haven't watched it. It looks fantastic like, yeah. at the Civic, um, and he knows how to um, put a, a frame together. Right. Um, so visually, it was great to watch. Narratively, pretty slight. Um, What's kinda, the basic kinda, idea? Kind of a quirky story. Um, uh, it's oh what's uh French girl who I did recognise one of the main roles. Oh a uh, uh, Deborah Kerr okay. was uh one of the roles. Um and oh, oh the main guy is reasonably well known, his name slips out of my head, but he he was probably the, the best dramatic thing on screen. Um oh, crap, I can't remember his name. Um so it's about a uh well-to-do family who are a father and daughter who have kind of a almost a friend relationship rather than a father and daughter relationship in, in many ways quite uh, inappropriate. He's seen as quite the playboy, um, can't settle down, but they get on quite well. And she, I hear you mean David Niven, of course. Yes, so. David Niven. Yes, yes <laughs> David Niven, who was who was pretty good. Um, and he kind of lifts it, I guess, dramatically lifts um, a film which is a little bit lacking, I guess. Okay. Um, and it's just a story about these well-off um, father-daughter couple who uh, who kind of summer in the south of France um, and uh, by the sea and, and the dramatic relationship sort of stuff that they sort of um, carry on with and yeah r- dramatically there's not a lot not a lot to it doesn't really sort of really 
bear much scrutiny, but but it's a fun watch. Um, it's it's pretty light, tasty. Um, David Nimmin's great. The the main there's a there's a little bit of sh- a little bit of sort of average acting in it. Um, right, some okay. of the delivery is a bit kind of wooden at, t- at times, and some of the writing is a bit kind of well, oh, yep. Um, okay. But it's beautifully shot. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of gutted. I missed um, all the. Uh, Retro screenings this year. In fact, I'm thinking of going to Hamilton on Saturday to see a couple things, including Gentlemen Prefer Blondes oh, at yeah, the yeah. film festival down there. Um, my Monday was actually, while you, whilst you were there, I was watching uh, New Zealand's Best 2012, oh, yeah, which is the collection of six um, shorts yep. that were selected. It's, the, it's kind of exciting. It's the first year that they've had any sort of competitive... Yeah, yeah. It's the award. first year that I've missed um, the main shorts program in New Zealand. Right. I, I gave up on them, honestly, a couple of years ago after one that I went to where there were five films and four of them were coming-of-age stories. And I was just like, <laughs> we have to get over ourselves as a country. I, I <coughs> don't have the authority to speak for New Zealand that thing. But I was just like, yeah, there's... It just so became such a cliché. And I was just like, oh, great, we have another person looking on with mournful eyes while their dad does something bad and looking doleful and then hitching a ride out of town at the end. And I was just <laughs> yeah, like, been how many times? Like yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like that plot summary could apply to like what seemed like 80% of New Zealand Film Commission's short film output for a few years. Yeah. And um, and so I was quite excited um, by this batch because five of the six don't fit that remit at all. Um, one of my fr- another friend, a good friend of mine, Tom Gleason. Um, had a film called Home in it, which was um, I, I really loved, which was actually non-narrative. It was about the transportation of a house from Invercargill um, to somewhere else in Otago oh, yeah. for um, a family to move into. And it was told just from the point of view of the house, house yeah. and, and a cameraman who was inside that house during the, the move. And, huh. it, and it's, quite, it's quite a clever formal conceit that's never violate there's no interviews there's no yeah. dialogue it's just um that's happening but several of the films um uh the the initial film that started the program 43,000 feet was another standout um yeah. and uh that that was quite um yeah quite clever sideways sort of approach it's about a guy who's um been in a um an airplane that's had its uh um, some sort of accident. He's he's ripped from it in midair, oh, yeah. and so he's falling to ground. And so it's his narration going down about oh, yeah. how how he thinks he might best survive the fall, what he would do if he survived, yeah. um, and quite um, quite energetic filmmaking, quite yeah. witty. Um, yeah, quite a few good films uh, in that program. Nice. Oh, hopefully, I'll get a chance to see some of them. Uh, yeah, I had a, I had a quite couple days after that where I was taking care of myself actually. Yeah, I um, I had a terrible thing where I missed a more um, because I misread the uh, ticket, uh, the time on my ticket <sighs> as one fifteen instead of eleven fifteen. I had quite a few films either side days on either side of that that were at one fifteen. Yeah, I was so gutted. It was one of probably the five mm. films that I if I wanted to see it, I wanted to see it, and plus it was one of the three films I think in the festival that is. Uh, Shot in 4K, right? And the Civic is one of the few. Well, 4K. projected in 4K. Oh, yeah. projected in 4K. Sorry, and, and the Civic is one of the few 4K projectors in New Zealand. Right. Um, the only one in Auckland, I think. Um, plus, it's the kind of film you want to see at the Civic. If plus, you can. it's Michael fucking Hanukkah. Yeah, yeah. And and I missed it as well, strictly because my band had a gig, and I was uh, quite gutted. It's playing next weekend in Hamilton. Yeah. Um, for a trip. 
Yeah, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can come, come at the road trip down. Um, but yeah, I didn't get on the ball till Thursday again. Um, yeah, I, I had another one on Wednesday, but I'll talk about it later. I, I had a couple... I had quite a big day on, on Thursday. Let's I, hear about I, it. I must know, so I'll jump into uh, the the Peter Jackson West, West of Memphis documentary. Uh, have you seen the Paradise Lost films? I have. Oh, well, I've seen the first and the third. Okay. Um, Paradise Lost. Um, Is this necessary? Uh, it's not necessary, um, but it probably gives you more of a background of what's going on. It's sort of There's a lot of kind of overlap, but at the same time, Peter Jackson and um, Fran Walsh were so sort of personally involved in the in the in the story of Damien Eccles. Are they characters in the film? Uh, it's a documentary. Yeah, but I mean, their so their their story about their involvement is in the film. Uh, uh, Peter Jackson's and it's not really referred to. Oh, okay. Basically, they hired. Oh, so Peter produced it rather. Um, he hired a director. Um, Amy Berg. Amy Berg. Yeah, yeah, over in the in the states. Um, and and a lot of it was, uh, yeah, just um working the case for Damien Eccles in particular. Um, right up until the point um where they got released at the end and a little bit afterwards. Uh, so the film was incredibly moving because the story is incredibly moving. Um, it was pretty well pieced together in terms of um being kind of detective work really um in some ways reminiscent of um uh thin blue line i guess um but not yeah it's not the same kind of film uh but but there are some elements of it which are reminiscent of that um but the 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 viewing experience was pretty fantastic because it was a full house at the Civic. Um, and Damien Eccles was Damian there. Damien Eccles was there, yeah. and, and his wife um, Laurie Davis and um, and Peter Jackson, and they did a Q and A, which um, I had to leave before it finished. I my next film didn't start for an hour and a half, and I thought I'll be fine, yeah. and and I had to leave. And it, it's I think the the Q and A ended at ten forty five or something. Wow! And the film finished at like nine. <laughs> It was it was crazy. Um, it was pretty cool. There was actually some really interesting questions asked, and and, right. and uh, some and to his credit, Damien was really um, honest and open um, in an experience which could be, I guess, highly awkward or possibly traumatic. You know, uh, but I guess he's been through a whole lot. Yeah, I, I and, do regret processing, processing for a year. Yeah, so I, it was an experience I, I would recommend if you have any interest in in the, in in the, the case. case or in justice, yeah. I guess justice issues. Yeah, I um I made the mistake of uh, well I won't say it's a mistake. I chose to see um what my other uh, slow cinema title for the year, Student, oh, which yeah. is a Kazakhstan film, which was yep. playing at the same time, and it was the only time I could catch it. So I decided to bail on West of Memphis for that, and oh, it sounds yeah. like I missed a historic, interesting yeah um thing in favor of. A film that just didn't work for me. I kind of, I almost don't really want to talk about it because um, I've talked to multiple people, including Steve Garden, um, who writes for Lumiere, yeah. reckons it was one of the strongest films he saw at the festival. And I just felt like I couldn't possibly have been looking at the same film. Loosely based off Crime and Punishment. Um, yes, yeah. yeah. And um, it put me off really early on. There's a, um, it starts with sort of a film within the film where there's this yeah. commercial director. Um, making doing this lovely dolly shot revealing this um beautiful actress and um and the shot's complete and then it's like reveals the apparatus of all this yeah. stuff and then it's almost the rest of the film's like so yeah fuck you we're not going to make a film that's pretty like that 
and instead we're going to make something that's you know really austere and then and the um lead actor who plays it is kind of you know it's supposed to be that sort of brissonian non-acting yeah. thing but it's it goes beyond merely impassive to the point of almost deadpan comedy but it didn't <laughs> seem intentional and yeah uh yeah just it just didn't fire for me but i feel like i just feel like i strongly missed the mm. point somehow so um yeah yeah kind of kind of embarrassed to put myself on the line until i see it again because again i also i was quite sick i had somebody eating a rencon meal on one side oh yeah and another person talked to me the other way um yeah michael sisinski who's another critic i like a lot is really raved about it and so i'm yeah well i was the one that i was keen to see but uh, yeah i'm curious i I definitely don't think it's it it, it's one a film of obvious formal pleasures um um it's it's austere in a lot of ways and um yeah but yeah some have loved it so i definitely say you know check it out if you're interested and see if it appeals uh rounding off my thursday very late was um uh what peck um what's his last name Peng Peng Ho Chung ah yeah Peng Ho Chung Uh, or Peck Ho Chung I'm going to go with Peng Ho Chung Um, Um, I will confirm uh, his film Vulgaria which is another part of the strange uh, section which was for me the low low point of my viewing I mean partially I was really tired and the the screening started at 10.30 um and I mean, it was classic exploitation cinema, really, in, in terms of like the uh, both the kind of the the, the poster or pictures and and, and the synopsis write up um, oversold it right. uh, in, in ways. Um, it was quite a clever film um, from the point of view. It was it was about a film producer and the kind of the length and the the kind of the 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 compromise, the, the moral and ethical compromise you end up going through to try and get a film made. Right. Um, uh, set in, in, in Hong Kong. And, and, and a lot of the kind of the conceit is that he's, this producer is being interviewed uh, or, or is talking to a, a film student class um, and being interviewed by the lecturer or tutor. Um, and he's telling a story of, of him trying to get, of him getting a film made that he'd made. Um, that was backed by some dodgy gangster boss um, and he had the, a bunch of things that he had to do to get it done, to get the funding done or, or the expectations from him who was funding Right. Um, yeah and, and it, it was clever in some ways it was quite amusing in other ways but ultimately it was just it seemed quite silly and a bit slight really I was expecting something sort of grimier, maybe sleazier and, and just a, a, a lot less kind of it, se- it seemed like kind of like uh, kind of ooh laughs of oh that's a bit that's a bit tasteless that's a bit naughty yeah but really not really yeah. right I am. Um, if you wanted grimy and sleazy, you should have gone to VHS. Oh yeah. Which, um, yeah, we'll talk about that now. Um, VHS was uh, a five films within a film. Yeah. So technically yeah. six different directors and um, all working around a found footage thing. Oh, yeah. um, and it's actually it was a bit misleading in the sense that um, the format of the film is there's this story about these crims who break into a house and find these tapes and put them in. Yeah. And the film you're supposed to be is 
uh, see is watching the tapes. Yeah. But the very first film is about this guy who has some spy glasses, um, which have a camera embedded within them, and he's they're going to try to hook up with some woman, and oh, yeah. um, and it's like everything else aside, it's like kind of like this is really uh, obviously not VHS, and yeah, yeah, and it took me a while to gel with that, and it wasn't yeah. until like the fourth film, which was a Skype. Uh, oh, yeah. found one where it's just like, okay, I'm just going to accept this as a formal yeah, conceit and, and drop that. Um, it rubbed me a wrong way for a while. There's Women don't come off very well in it in certain ways. Um, and even though, obviously, it's a bunch of different people making yeah. films, the fact is when you line up all these films back-to-back and you see yeah. certain similarities, it tasted a little bad. Um, and there's a mix of quality to the films. Um, the the last film by Radio Silence is a particular standout. Yeah. There's some great effects in that. Um, the interesting thing is, so the filmmaker of the first film within a film, David Bruckner, yeah. was present. And uh, as I alluded to, his film involves a guy who puts on yeah. these spy glasses. There's like three of them. There's these two frat boys that hanging out with her. And, you know, yeah. he's the nerdy kid, kid in the glasses who we see the whole thing through. And um, so you spend the first half kind of like with these absolute douchebags yeah. trying to, you know, pick up a girl to score with so they can film her with these glasses. Yeah. And um, and then they pick up the wrong girl and things go awry. Yeah. And and that comes off some stuff in the opening um, segment, which in yeah. the crims that we have, like, go up to random women on the street, rip their top off and film them for this porn uh, site. And... Yeah. and I think it's kind of unfortunate that those two things sort of played back to back. Yeah. Because um, uh, hearing um, David Bruckner talk about the film, A, he's a fucking smart, thoughtful yeah. guy um, who could speak quite intelligently and dispassionately about the gender politics yeah. at play. Um, and the fact, you know, he's like, look, you know, my producer's female, we had all these female. And the fact is that everything that gets visited on a woman in that film gets visited on a man. Our men are humiliated and naked at certain points. And, yeah. um, and it's taking this, what it, what apparently is a genre that I knew nothing about of voyeur porn, yeah. like first person porn or something and, and subverting those expectations, yeah, yeah. which is kind of like, if you're watching something that's a subversion of something, that's an intrinsically kind of sexist yeah, yeah. thing. And you're not familiar with it. You don't know that you're watching a subversion at the yeah, start. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a great Q and a thanks to Ant for, bring him down and there's also just a lot of intelligent um discussion around the process of making yeah. a film um he's also directed part of a film called the signal which played uh, a yeah, few yeah. years back yeah. and um i hope off the strength of these various things he's able to get a feature off the ground because he's clearly um got a lot of thought um yeah. and and chops to show and i i'm hoping that um that can all come together to something for him um and yeah it was great um, a good, good ride overall. Yeah, um, yeah. Interestingly, um, everyone I talked to afterwards, you know, pretty good. You know, it was one of those like, oh, I like this film. I don't like that film. You crazy? Yeah. I like that film. But yeah. um, the Twitter reviews I saw from Australia were um, like acted like somebody had pissed on their mother's grave. Like, oh, really? one, yeah, just like beyond spiteful at at how sexist they thought it was. Mostly by people who gave Killer Joe a pass, which is a film yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> uh, that pr- provoked its, um, you know, range of uh, negative yeah. reviews here. It, it's just interesting how that context happens. I wonder if um, David Bruckner hadn't been there, if it had spun a different direction. 
Um, what did you see on Friday while I was uh, at VHS? Um, I, I, I caught um, Bully, the documentary, uh, Lee Hirsch, um, who was in attendance as well for a Q&A. Unfortunately, I we stumbled into the Q&A for a moment. I went into the winter oh, right. garden. I was going to go down there to get a drink, and someone was telling a story in a crowded room about getting beat up in high school, and I'm like, felt like I'd walked into a group therapy session and <laughs> walked away slowly. Um, yeah, that was... Um, it was a very moving documentary. It was very, very much a fly on the wall sort of approach, and he shot it in um, in a, a Canon 5D, I think. Um, so on a DSLR, um, f- f- so that he could do it without a crew and be very, um, I guess, uh, integrated. Yeah, and and just sort of to sort of blend in to the background, particularly when he's filming kids. Um, they, he, he talked about how they managed to sort of stumble across uh, a school that already had um, uh, sort of a, a general release for filming for right. things, um, and um, they went back and got released afterwards on, on advice of um, things for Legal specific, counsel, people, yeah. Yeah, specific people, but that um, just made it a whole lot easier for them to, to set up and shoot in the school. But w- instead of sort of doing talking heads and uh, and sort of attacking the sort of the, the idea of bullying and stuff, what he basically does is uh, embeds himself in the lives of uh, three kids, um, one young boy mm-hmm. and two two girls um, whose situations are wildly different um, right. and whose issues are quite different um, and then with two families who have had uh, in this case sons who have uh, of different ages who have committed suicide primarily they feel because of bullying um, and their responses uh, to it and and yeah so he just sits in these f- situations with the kids at school on buses um, with the families um, at various sort of meetings um, and just observes what's going on um, and it's it really is just a chance for the stories of these kids to come out and Lee Hirsch um, sort of says that he was uh, bullied as, as a kid and just felt like he didn't have a story that was able to kind of surface and so he wanted to help some people surface their stories that were very personal but at the same time might be representative of of um, experience for a lot of people um so from that point of view i thought it was really well done um very moving stories of these kids um it's interesting i've talked to a lot of people who said it's a really big problem in new zealand obviously it's something that i wasn't here for schooling so i didn't know that but i've had um several people tell me about their personal experiences being bullied far more than proportionately i've heard about in the states and i don't know if that's um just says something about who I hang out with here, or if that's a, that's a generalizable um, trend. I, I I mean I was bullied a little bit, not severely, but I had my share of it. But then I guess my responses po- po- probably helped me to kind of come out of that, um, and also ha- I, I actually managed to have some friends. I wasn't like isolated by myself. I had um, a good network of of my of my own friends, sort of outside of these other people who were railing on me or whatever um, oh, fair enough but uh, but yeah I, I, the there are some sort of flaws in terms of the overall thematic message with the film that sort of other people have pointed out um, which which I te- which I agree with and, and that it like it doesn't go very far in terms of looking at solutions um, and it doesn't 
address the complex nature of bullying. Um, but but I don't think that was Hirsch's intention. Like um, he doesn't he doesn't uh, the bullies are pretty much kind of painted as as the other, the bad person, but no context given to what creates bullying, what's kind of the cycle of right. of life or, or, or circumstance that leads someone to f- to feel like they have to take power over other people. Um, I've also seen things where he's been accused of um, soft-pedaling some of the um, personality characteristics mm. of the kids that wound up committing suicide. Which, yeah, yeah. I mean, on one hand, you know, I don't think you really want to make yeah. a movie that's about... Hey, here's this kid that committed suicide. Let's point all the bad things about him. But yeah, there it, there is a danger of oversimplifying. Well, yeah, the I, I don't think symptomology of those situations. The he didn't really go in a lot to the the kids mm-hmm. like to the really in depth to the stories of the kids who committed suicide so much, right. as, and like had no pr- previous footage of those kids. Um, but you could say that I don't know. He, I mean, he does look at some of the. Um, at the kids that he's got, you kind of see that there are some there's some lack of self awareness or some issues that the kids have that's right. not making it easier for them. But at the same time, they are who they are, and yeah. you know what are they going to do about that? It doesn't mean they should be victimised. Yeah, so uh, it was very much a very compelling watch and quite moving. Yeah, <laughs> I saw um, a documentary on Friday called um, Photographic Memory, uh, which is by Ross McElwee, who. Um, Film Society had a retrospective of some of his stuff a few years back. He's um, sort of one of the oldest that I know of um, cinematic diarists, where you know he's he makes all these self-documentaries. Um, he's made a film oh, called yeah. Sherman's March about um, his inability to um, oh, yeah. get a date, and um, Time Indefinite and Charlene, and these various films. And it, and he's just always filming bits and collecting them. <clears throat> and um, and so photographic memory is simultaneously the story of him um being older and now having a son who's out photographing himself but his son does snowboarding and stuff like that and meanwhile he's um becoming the dad who's like i don't know what you're doing with your life and all these things and um and he sort of winds up reviewing his own personal history and thinking about his past and um going back to uh france where he was for a while to track down a woman that um, he remembered from two photographs. It's it's a film that I think is pretty specialist in its mm. appeal. It's kind of like hanging around with somebody who's somewhat interesting for yeah. ninety minutes and having them talk about stuff. But like you watch this stuff with the fights between the father and the son, yeah. And it, the, you know, it's a narrator's the father and the guy filming it. And like I agreed with the son more often than I agreed with the father a yeah, lot yeah. of the time. Um, uh, and so. Yeah, I, it's not a film that I'd I'd push to recommend. Yeah. But there's something like because I've seen a couple films by him, it's like, um, and because he often puts in footage from his own old films into the oh, new okay. films when yeah. he's referring to people from his past or things like yeah. that. There's something slightly comforting about that. It's like kind of like catching up with an old friend that you haven't seen for ten years yeah, for well, an hour and a half and hearing some stories and remembering a bit of. I the imagine past that would kind of give a bit on. of continuity to his work. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is work that's really of a yeah. piece in a way that few filmmakers are in that sense, and that it's you know his his continual stories and to call them adventures would give them a bit too much uh, adrenaline. <laughs> um, and how about you? You've got uh, um, yeah, probably my last one um, that didn't make my top nine were um, 
uh, was uh, the kind of spy... Well, not really spy, but but kind of a, a dramatic thriller um, uh, based around uh, the IRA and uh, British intelligence sort of um, tracking a particular cell, IRA cell, a, fam- a family um, called Shadow Dancer. Right. Um, had Clive Owen and uh, I can't remember the Andrew Risborough. Yeah, yeah. But I've heard amazing things about her performance. Yeah, it, it, her performance is pretty fantastic, and the film is. Again, I guess in a festival context, it was it unfairly pales against some of the other fear that I saw. Um, but had I seen that out of a festival context, I think like well, objectively, it's it's a really good film for right. for the kind of genre that it is. Um, it's got uh, quite a nice uh, thread of tension in it. Um, really interesting um, uh, d- dynamics of family and loyalty and uh, and where does loyalty and, and love lie and how does that play out in a kind of a complex ideological environment um, yeah it, uh, and, and it's kind of it's not the kind of film that you are used to seeing or expect out of that kind of particular history right um, where you often either get sort of an injustice kind of film or uh, or a sort of a more militant sort of thing. This is more of a kind of just a, a tense, yeah, a tense kind of. So it's more it's more about um, being a thriller than about the politics of the situation. You mean? Well, yeah, it's yeah, it's less about the politics. It's more about the kind of the dynamics of relationship and the tension in that when you've got family members who are at odds or keeping secrets from each other with a kind of political motive and then there's kind of this um, intelligence kind of aspect to it. So it's like I wouldn't call it a spy movie necessarily even, um, although it has kind of spy movie trappings to a degree. It's more kind of like an interesting drama of relation... uh, family and ideological relationships. Family versus ideological relationships. Yeah. Okay. In a scale of... Worth worth me taking my time to go see? Yeah, I'd I'd say. Yeah. Um, my last film that didn't make the um, top nine is uh, mm-hmm. a film called Beyond the Hills, um, and it wouldn't have also made my top 30, I don't think. Mm. Um, it is uh, by Christian Mungu. I, mm. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation. He did a film called Four Months, Three Weeks, Two yep. Days, which is... Um, you've seen? Uh, no, I haven't. It's fucking good. Yeah. It is... It's a stunning um, movie. Uh and yeah, basically about um, these two friends, and one goes to um, take her friend for a back alley abortion, yeah. and things go badly. And it's it's a tense, taut but really well thought out thriller. There's a um, in a non conventional sense, yeah. but there, there's a scene that's nothing but a long shot of one of our characters sitting at a dinner party. Yeah. Um, whilst a phone starts ringing that's one of the tensest scenes I've ever seen in a movie and one of the greatest um, last lines of a film it's one of those last lines that I'll always remember Um, but Beyond the Hills? (sighs) fucking disappointment Um, (laughs) yeah I, I it's where do I start? it's about this woman who's uh, in a nunnery and uh, lives up in the hills and um, 
she um, has this friend of hers that she grew up with at the orphanage who's gone off to Germany yeah. and has come back um, to visit for a couple of days and their plan is to go off to Germany together. Yeah. Um, but there's this question of like, well, can she leave the nunnery? And, and then it becomes this, oh, this girl from the outside's a bad influence and, you know, you shouldn't be seeing her. And um, there's there seems to be a bit of an open question as to whether it's implied that the two have previously had a lesbian relationship. Yeah. I thought it was really obvious that they did. And my friend who I saw it with is like, oh, no, you, they, were, they were just friends. You know, it's the only two people that loved each other in life. You're reading too much into it. So, um, but regardless, it, it becomes clear that... Um, the, the other woman's dependence on this woman who's joined the nunnery is yeah. is unhealthy. Yeah. And and so she starts acting out, and then yeah. it becomes this very slow, vicious circle of back and forth and yeah. back and back and forth. And I don't really... I kind of love to spoil where it goes, but I, I don't really want to. Yeah. Um, because, you know, somebody still might want to see it. And it, yeah. and it did. I mean, it won awards for acting at Cannes. I saw... Somebody who saw 50-plus films at Melbourne Festival thought it was one of the best films they saw there. Yeah, I, um, saw, I saw someone local praise it. Quite. Yeah, I, I, I just... Um, I, I just found it... Um, yeah, le- there's, there's, a, there's a wonderful last shot. And there's some moments. And I think what was interesting to me afterwards was finding out it was based on a true story. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, because... Um, uh, without trying to give too much away, um, when you get into the last third, it has some very uh, superficial resemblances, or so, some resemblances story-wise to what could be a much more exploitation um, type of film. And at that point, I was always like, man, they should have got somebody like <laughs> Jess Franco or yeah, you yeah. know one of those '70s uh, yeah, yeah. Italian guys <laughs> to direct the shit out of this. You know, you got nuns and you got potential lesbian and you've got you know people fighting and and it's just like you know screw you know make it 90 minutes and and um and and so for a while i was like well maybe it's that it's not embracing its inner pulp and the fact that it's based on a true story is um somewhat interesting it also has some interesting um parallels to compliance which Uh, uh, i can't really discuss unless you've seen them but um yeah overall i mean great performances well, some interesting photography yeah. sometimes, but just entirely lacking in the sort of compelling yeah. uh, tension of his previous work. And, um, yeah, nothing that I could really recommend to anybody except the, the highly curious about Romanian cinema. <laughs> um, so that's kind of everything prior to our top nine. Are, are you fading? We've been going for a while. Yeah. And uh, I'm wondering if we should maybe save the top nine for a... Uh, tight focused uh follow-up podcast what do you think uh yep we'll do a a fifth top nine very soon yes look forward to that cool until next time all righty see See ya. ya